Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Our scripture reading today uh, comes to us out of the book of 2 Samuel, and we'll begin in chapter 9 and verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service. He replied, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. This is the word of God for the people of God today. summer of 1970 is one that I will never forget. I was 10 years old, and uh, my cousin from California showed up. Now, I knew about Walt and his family. I just had never met them. I knew his dad and my uncle very well, and he would come and visit uh, us every other, every two years or so, but I never met Walt, and he and his wife and two kids showed up in that summer, and I got to know family that I really didn't know before, which was really cool as an only child and a very small family in St. Louis. Uh, and then uh, they did something quite remarkable. 
they asked my mom if it would be okay. She said yes, and they took me back with them to California. And we drove from St. Louis to California. Now, I had never, as a 10-year-old, we didn't have a car, you know, and didn't go many places. Travel is much more common today. Uh, wasn't back then. I'd never been outside the city of St. Louis. So we drove to California. It was amazing. You know, I got to see the petrified forest, the painted desert. We went to the Grand Canyon. And then we got to California and got to do a lot of the fun things there, like Disneyland, and then my love affair with the beach uh, started. Went to Huntington Beach in Southern California, and I'll never forget that first time seeing the ocean. You remember the first time you saw the ocean? How big and vast it was. And it was, it was a summer I'll never forget. I wound up spending a month there, uh, and, and just all because my, my cousin, just out of the blue, showed up and decided to uh, bless his younger cousin in St. Louis and took me on this trip of a lifetime. I'll never forget that. Well, in our scripture reading today, um, servants of King David show up, knock on the door of a young man named Mephibosheth. And out of the blue, his life gets blessed in just uh, inconceivable ways. And this story in the Old Testament, I think, is one one of the clearest examples and stories of grace that we find in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, in, in, the he- in Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, there's no word for grace, all right? Uh, but they have a word, hesed, which often gets translated uh, God's kindness, kindness, or loving kindness. Sometimes it gets translated faithfulness, God's love. It, it refers to love based on covenant, and it is the Old Testament concept of grace. And David shows it to this young man named Mephibosheth. Um, And you heard that in the scripture reading today. And I thought Colin did a very good job. By the way, this week we had auditions to see who could read uh, this chapter and pronounce all the names. And so Colin won, so he got to read the scripture today. Good job, Colin. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a tongue twister, but it is one heck of a story. And what I want you to hear is this is not just some cool story out of the life of King David. This is our story. Yeah. So David shows this remarkable kindness to Mephibosheth. And why? Because this is what we do. This is what we do. Starts out here in verse 9. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Um, Earlier, a number of weeks ago, we did this series about relationships. And you may or may not remember that I, uh, I shared a message about the friendship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, the very first king in Israel's history. But God rejected Saul and chose David, the shepherd boy, instead. And so Jonathan, though, his son was, was the prince. He was the next to ascend the throne. But David is chosen by God instead to do this. And despite that, which could have been this intense rivalry for power and position, the two become friends and best friends. And their friendship, what I I shared a few weeks ago, you remember my sermon, right? You remember? Yeah, you do. Wow, a couple of you did. Most folks forget by the time they hit the parking lot, but that's okay. Um, uh, Is is that that their friendship was based on promises, promises that they made. 
And when we go back to, to the story of David and Jonathan, we, we read here, Jonathan, by the way, saw the handwriting on the wall. He knew that God had rejected his father. He knew that he would not be the next king. He knew that David would be king. He was okay with that. But he wanted kindness, this loving kindness, this word that I'm talking about, shown to his family. Verse 14, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. Now, Jonathan gets killed in war, in battle, but it's not David's doing. And do not, even, do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth, and David agrees to that. So, because in Middle Eastern custom at that time, when a, per, when a man became king, it was customary to kill off all of the family members of the previous king because any one of them could rise up and claim the throne, and so you wanted all your rivals gone, but David said, I'm not gonna do that to you. So years later, years later, David's saying, you know, one day he wakes up and says, There's, is there anyone from Saul's family? Now, the wording isn't used, but I think in New Testament language, what's going on here is he has a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Those who are followers of Jesus are led by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God will sometimes whisper to you that there's something that needs to be done. It can be something very small, like you really should call that person that you spoke with last week that expressed that need or concern. Or, or you really should write that person, reach out to that person, or, or you hear an appeal like you should give to this. And the Holy Spirit prompts us in ways that show that we are being led by the Spirit. And so on this day, David feels that he wants to do something for Mephibosheth based on the promise that he made to, um, to his dad, Jonathan, many years before. So the question is, are, are you dialed into the Spirit? I believe the Spirit is always speaking. The Spirit is, is tapping people's shoulders, but are we listening to the voice of the Spirit to see what he wants to do? A couple weeks ago, our staff had a work day in Sykeston at an organization called Spread Hope Now, and it was a great day. And we heard stories from the leaders of that ministry which um, provide practical needs for people who are poor, struggling, and, and need some kind of assistance. If a single mom needs a refrigerator, they'll pr provide a refrigerator. And they do this by faith. Well, one day, a young woman showed up, and she was doing foster care. And her first foster care assignment, and they gave her four kids. And she didn't have anywhere for them to sleep. So she shows up at Spread Open Now and says, do you have four twin-sized beds? And they said, uh, we'll get twin-sized beds every now and then, but no, we've never had four. But if we, you know, we'll get back to you. We'll try to see what we can do. The next day, someone calls and says, I have four twin size beds that I don't need anymore. Would y'all have any use for them? True story. We heard several of those stories that day, and it's awesome because I believe the Holy Spirit whispered to that person and said, you know those beds you don't need anymore? Give them away. So are you dialed in? Are you listening? Sometimes it's, you say, oh, no, I'm going to dismiss that. Don't dismiss it. It could be the Spirit of God whispering for you to do something. And so David follows the promptings. He has his men go to, he finds out about Mephibosheth, and he has him go to his house. Now, you understand, he's been hiding all of his life because he's afraid. I mean, he would be an heir to the throne. He, would, he could potentially be a threat to David, and so he's been hiding all of his life. Can you imagine the fear that went through his heart that day as people from the palace show up, knock on his door, and said, who are you? And says, we're here from King David. His heart had to sink because he probably thought, this is it. They found me. My hiding's over. I'm done. 
and they bring him back to the palace, and there's this beautiful exchange. Um, we pick up with um, um, uh, verse 7. It says, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He says, don't be afraid. And he's going to do this great thing for him. So up until this time, Mephibosheth, not only was in hiding, but he was living a pretty destitute life. Um, it says that he was living in an in a area called Lodabar. It's just a, a part of Israel. But the, the meaning of the word literally is no pasture land. And it's symbolic, representative of his life. He's living in a barren place. He's living in a desolate place. He's living um, impoverished. And David shows up, our representative, brings him to the palace. And he says, man, your life's about to change. I, want, I just want to give all of this to you. And he showers him with one blessing after another, one material blessing after another. And then he says, oh, and I'm going to treat you like a son. You're going to sit at my table every night for dinner. Wow, talk about a turn of events. Out of the blue, these folks show up and just decide to bless Mephibosheth in unbelievable ways that he never would have imagined. Uh, when he says, I want to show kindness to someone, it's this covenantal loving kindness that, re that represents the love that God has first shown to us. Now, David was in a very good position to do this. In, in chapter 8, the context here is that it, it talks about all of the victories that Israel is experiencing under David's leadership. This begins the golden era of Israel's history in the Old Testament. They have one victory after another, and the, and the country is prospering like never before. And so he is blessed with abundant resources. And so he decides he's going to share. And so he pours out these blessings. Now, the text makes clear that there's this guy named Ziba, and he has been the steward of all the land that used to belong to the former king, Saul. And uh, he lets us know, the author, that he had 15 sons and 20 servants. In other words, a lot of mouths to feed. David takes on this whole thing. This was no small thing that he does. This is going to be a very costly show of kindness to Mephibosheth and this family. Um, but he does this. But what I want you to see is it's not just transactional. Yeah, Mephibosheth is going to get financially blessed in, in ways that he never could have dreamed or imagined of before. But it's relational. I want you to sit at my table. I want you to eat with me every night. What an amazing gift. What an amazing blessing that is. And um, um, in our faith, when we talk about giving, it's not just the check. It's not just the transaction, it's the relationship. God wants a relationship with us. And our faith should be, at its very core, a relational kind of faith. So that's why I had so much fun this past Monday. I went to, um, uh, I have a group, there's a group of pastors. We get together every six months. We're on, on a Zoom call every week. And uh, we've become very close. We pastor similar churches um, around the country. And four of our friends live in Florida. So flew down to Florida. And I was able to take the check that uh, uh, the hurricane relief funds that you all gave, $30,000. And uh, I was able to give that. Now, we've helped hurricane relief other places and given organizations that we believe in, and that's awesome. But this one was special because this was with friends, and I know them, have a relationship with them, and uh, it was a huge blessing to them to give them this check, the relational component of that. See, it's easy to write a check, 
But it's another thing to give your life to something. By the way, if you're under the age of 25 and don't understand what a check is, talk to somebody after the service, a little older, and they'll explain all of that to you because I know you've never written one of those if you're like my kids, all right? All right. Um, But here's the thing. What I love about what David does is it's so Jesus-like. A thousand years for Jesus. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And here's David. He invites this man, this son of Jonathan, his best friend, uh, to at his table. And Mephibosheth will never, ever be able to repay him. No way. Can't possibly do it. And David does this. It's so good. So beautiful. Last night after service, somebody said, so is that scripture saying that I don't have to invite my friends and family to Thanksgiving meal this year? I said, I don't think you, go, don't quote me on that, please. Now, if you want to do the other part, go ahead and do that, but uh, I'll let you wrestle that out with your family. Um, but, but Jesus is saying, your giving should be such a way that others can't give back to you. We Americans are bad about that, aren't we? Someone takes me to lunch and they pay my lunch. You know what I want to do? I want to take them to lunch and pay theirs next time, Right? Just how we are. You do something for me, I'm gonna do something for you. But Jesus says, do something for people who could never, ever repay you. And he says this, and you will be blessed. And you'll be repaid at the resurrection. That's cool. And this is what David does. Um, And this is why, one of the reasons we've made a commitment to the care of orphans. Yes, there are, there's a lot in the Bible that tells us to look after the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner living in our midst. It's usually those three put together. In fact, there are 2,000 verses in our scripture, in our Bible, telling us to care for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner in our midst. And we have felt God lead us for many years now to care for the orphan uh, and to uh, promote foster care and adoption Any kind of way that we can bless children, the next generation, and being faithful to God's call and helping those who cannot repay us. And so one of the big ways we do this is through child sponsorships. And a number of years ago, we began researching what kind of organization God was leading us to. Where was the Spirit of God leading us to get involved? Because I had I'd been become a big believer in child sponsorships and seeing the good it has done around the world. Um, and uh, uh, the, the best part is not that the money doesn't go to that kid. That would almost be reckless. The money goes to help the community to raise the, uh, the, the, the quality of life in the place that they live, and that helps all the children who are there. So years ago, Lynn and I, wanted, we sponsored a child through World Vision, uh, and um, here's the, his picture. It's actually the second child we did. The first one aged out at age 18. This is a young man named Mahesh, lives in India. And uh, last year, late last year, we got a letter from World Vision that said Mahesh is no longer going to be in the program, and my heart sank. I thought, oh, you know, I know, he's, he's only like 14. I said, he hasn't aged out yet. What's going on? 
And so I kept reading the letter and it said, Mahesh is no longer gonna be in the program because his village has uh, begun to flourish to the degree that they don't need our assistance anymore. I thought, oh my gosh, that is cool. That is amazing, that's what we wanna do. And so years and years, World Vision had invested in this community in India and now they're flourishing that because of Christians around the world that they, they're on their own which is what we would hope for. And so about eight or nine years ago, we started um, uh, with a care point. You saw the video um, in Eswatini, Africa. There's a, a picture. I'm going to show you some pictures. There's just one picture, one of the views of this area. And um, all started years before we ever got there uh, with some African grandmothers who were concerned about children not eating. There is food scarcity uh, in various places across Africa and a poverty that we rarely see. So these uh, Gogos, as they are called, these African grandmothers, would do what, did what you would do. If you had children starving in your neighborhood, I imagine many of you would do something about it. So they started out of their meager resources make, making meals once or twice a week and feeding kids. And kids showed up by the dozens. And then they expanded it to three or four days. And some missionaries um, from South Africa came and they, and they said, tell us what you're doing. And they told them and, and, and tell us some of your dreams. And they said, well, would you, would you let us partner with you? And so that began this partnership, all right? Uh, and everything that has ever been done there has been done because the leaders of that community say, this is what we need. This is what we believe is important. So Children's Hope Chest got involved with um, the folks, the, the go-go's, the grandmothers there. And those meals went to every day. So that now any child who does not get enough food can go there every day of the week and get fed. And as relationships began to build and we got in the picture, they said, um, well, one of the things, what, what do you need? Well, you know, instead of buying the food, it'd be kind of nice if we could grow our own. It would, it would be more um, um, economical, more feasible. Okay, so we helped them start a garden and they tend it. Beautiful garden, big garden. Uh, with soil that makes me so jealous. Oh my gosh, it's rich, black, good soil. Love to bring it on home to Missouri. Uh, but but um, they started that, and then they, they said, you know what, we'd like, we'd like to, to have chickens, have some protein for, uh, and eggs. And so, um, because of your generosity, we built a, a chicken coop. And then everything that's really been done there, the building for, for preschool children and the swing set and all the other things have been done because of our partnership. They said, these are our priorities and that's how it works. But the goal is to get their community on its feet so that one day they're thriving on their own and they don't need outside assistance. So we've been at this eight or nine years. When we started this a few years ago, 170 LaCroix families sponsored about, about 170 children. Um, and the good that it's done since then is just unbelievable. Like I said, the chicken coop, and uh, now they have pigs, and they have fresh water. I think we have a picture of the water. It was one of the things I said, we don't have good, uh, healthy water. So that came because of the sponsorship program um, and, and, and so forth. And then, you know, one of the deals is that it's relational. When you sponsor a child, um, the money that you give, the $45 a month, goes in to help this community become stronger and healthier. But then we build relationships, and so we send a team. Part of the agreement is that every year we send a team to go there uh, to get to know some of these kids and the adults who lead the programs there face-to-face. And we've been doing that for many years now. Past couple years haven't been able to go, but we're going back next summer, which is really cool. But it's relational at its core. 
Um, and that's why we, we sponsor children. We do this for the orphans. We do this for vulnerable children and for the poor because, well, this is what has been done for us. So what has been done for us? Um, we'll go back to the story here of David and Mephibosheth. Um, if you haven't already kind of detected it, it's almost like a miniature story of the gospel. This isn't just a story about David showing kindness to the son of his best friend, Jonathan. This is a picture of the gospel, and it's really our story um, through Jesus. See, because like, you know, just think about it. Think of the analogies. At one time, Mephibosheth was the grandson of the king, the son of Jonathan, the prince, who would be next on the throne. He would have been second heir to the throne. He had uninterrupted fellowship. In Genesis, we read that God walked with Adam every day, and there was this uninterrupted fellowship between human beings and God. But then came the fall. Second Samuel chapter 4 tells the backstory. You know how it says in the story that Mephibosheth was crippled three or four times in the chapter? We're told that story. Why? The author is trying to drive home a point. He's crippled. Why? Well, 2 Samuel 4 tells us that on the day that his father and grandfather were killed in battle, his nurse, who was tending him, taking care of him, fled rather quickly. And as she fled, she fell. There was an accident. And we're not told the details except that as a result of that, this young boy was crippled, and he never could walk normally again after this. When Adam and Eve sinned, their relationship with God was crippled. We call that the fall. Just like Mephibosheth's nurse fell, and he was um, crippled the rest of his life, so human beings became crippled. And then one day, out of the blue, King David shows up and shows kindness to Mephibosheth because this is the son of his best friend, Jonathan. And he showers blessings on him. And then day, at one day, at the right time, at God's perfect time, out of the blue. Well, it wasn't out of the blue. It had been predicted for a long time. God's son, Jesus shows up. And God showers his blessings on all who claim the name of Jesus because if you are in Christ, you are in God's beloved son and he showers spiritual blessings on us in Jesus. Just like Mephibosheth, we had nothing, we deserve nothing, and we could repay nothing for God's great kindness shown to us in Jesus. We just simply receive it as a gift of grace. And David takes this young man from the land of Lodabar, remember, no pasture land, a barren land, a forsaken land, and brings him to the palace where he will eat fine food and drink fine wine every day of his life. And as followers of Jesus, we're taken from a, a place, no purpose, no hope, no God, and we're brought to sit at his table and treated like kings and queens treated like royalty in Christ. And David adopts Mephibosheth and he becomes one of his own. God in Christ adopts us. 
and treats us as he does his son, Jesus. You talk about getting the royal treatment. Notice I said three or four times it says, Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. In fact, that's why, that's how the story ends. It seems like an odd ending. And he ate at the king's table every day, and Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. Why does the author tell us that? Because those crippled feet would forever be a reminder to him that he, the undeserving, was shown great grace by the king. Hope you're reminded daily of where you came from, that you were a sinner saved by grace and that you're here today and that you're in a relationship with Jesus not because of any good that you've done simply out of the kindness and the goodness of God we who are crippled we who have fallen we who have strayed have been shown this kindness and now we are part of the family and we sit at the king's table this is our story it's your story it's my story and so People who have been shown great grace naturally give it. It's in their lives, and so they let it come out in so many different ways. Um, and we call, we're simply um, invited to act in the way that we have been treated ourselves and how we have been loved. John would put it this way in his first letter. He said, we love because he first loved us. Why do we care for the orphan? Because we have been orphaned spiritually and God cared for us and God adopted us. And so we do this because it's been done for us. Um, so caring for orphans is a big deal for us. It's a big commitment that we made years ago. Um, and every year we recognize Orphan Sunday. There are churches all around the country, all around the globe, who are doing this with us today, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, normally, when we come into Orphan Sunday and, and talk about our care point, and by the way, we are the only church that is responsible for that care point, Tim Butini, Well of Hope, number two. There's a Tim Butini one. We are the only church if things are going to happen there in this small part of the world, it's only going to happen because of us. There's not some other, you know, big church over here, our, several churches over there. It's us. Like I said, when we started, I had about 170 kids normally come to Orphan Sunday, and we've got three or four, maybe a dozen that need to be sponsored. This year we came to the weekend with 45 kids needing to be sponsored. Why the big increase? Because the past two years have been terrible for Eswatini. The pandemic created food shortages. Uh, and then there's been terrible civil unrest in the country, destruction and violence and deaths. And people who were kind of on the edge of poverty were got, got pushed over. And so the census has grown. So we come today um, I, I challenging us to, to sponsor a kid. Now, because of last night, I think we're down to 32, all right? Um, and what is this? It's, it's a commitment of $45 a month, again, that goes into the community to make it better. Every child uh, who's part of this program gets a meal a day. Every child gets their, their school fees paid. Every child gets discipled. It, the, what I love about AIM, the organization we now work with who took it over from Children's Hope Chest, is that um, it's, it's discipleship-based. They tell them about Jesus, and they also give them food, and they meet their practical needs. Uh, and we develop relationships with these folks and these children. So you'll be given a name of a child. Uh, last month, um, uh, one of the kids had a, 
uh, a birthday that we sponsor. So we sent him an email and wished him a happy birthday. And uh, uh, Wandiswa emailed me back. He had his 13th birthday and uh, wrote this letter to me. And I got it here with me, this over emailed. Hello, Ron, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for writing to me uh, and the pictures that you sent me and for wishing me a happy birthday. I couldn't have a special celebration for my birthday. It was on a school day and everything was normal. <laughs> just like kids are now everywhere, right? I didn't get treated well. I had to go to school and just went on. And, and he said, um, love the pictures from your garden. I wish you could come visit. I appreciate your prayers. I pray for you too. And so you get the opportunity to write these children, and they write back. And sometimes they're too young, and they'll, you know, get out the work. Sometimes they'll draw you a picture. And you, you develop a relationship with, with a child 8,000 miles away. You may never go. You may go. You may never go. But a bond gets created. And parents, let me tell you, there's something about taking that picture and putting it on your fridge and having conversations with your kids. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to demonstrate your faith to your children, to your grandchildren. And so after the service, you'll have an opportunity to sponsor a child. If you're here, uh, you go out to the lobby. There's a table out there with balloons and, and uh, uh, photos of the kids, and they'll tell you how to get signed up to sponsor. If you're worshiping online, there's a couple ways you can do this. First, you can go to the app. Go to the first page of the app. On the bottom, it says serve. Click that. The next page, go to the bottom, and it says sponsor a child. Um, if you're on the website, you can go to a website that you think about this week and you come back and say, go to the website, there's a place there for child sponsorship. It's very, very easy to do. But my hope and prayer, and I was out walking today, I'm praying, Lord, I pray we come out of this day with all 45 children sponsored and relationally connected to folks in our church. That would be an amazing Orphan Sunday. This is what we do because this is what has been done for us. I, um, I'm reading devotionally right now in the book of Revelation. I'm, I usually read Old Testament Psalms and I'm reading Revelation and, and get to chapter two, letters of the churches. There's, there's seven letters to seven churches over two chapters. Normally I read a whole chapter, but I've slowed down. I'm just taking one letter, like three or four per chapter. And Jesus sends messages to these churches. And, and he evaluates, he assesses what the church is doing and its work. And I, and, I, and I read that, I was like, what kind of letter would Jesus write us? You know, it's not just you and Jesus. It's not you individually alone. It's us. What would Jesus say about LaCroix Church? Well, I, I kind of think one of the things that he would commend us on is this. And maybe at the, end of, at the end of the story, the most significant thing we will have done is made life better for a small little community 8,000 miles away by sharing the abundance that we have. I mean, 45 bucks a month, what is that? And changing the world for them. Maybe, maybe this is one of the most important things we do. This is what we do because this is what has been done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that tucked away in 2 Samuel, pages of the Old Testament, is this beautiful little story of grace. It's really not a little story because it's, it's our story. It's everyone's story who has been living in a barren land without hope, without purpose, without God. And out of the blue, you show up.
and you bring us into your kingdom and you sit us at your table and you put us there for a banquet and your banner over us is love. And we paupers get treated like royalty. It's our story. Thank you. Thank you that we see ourselves in Mephibosheth and what has been done for him. And so on this Orphan Sunday, may around the world lives be changed as churches step into this calling more deeply. My prayer, Father, is that all 45 of these children by the end of this day will be sponsored and building relationships with the amazing people here at our church. So thank you. And thank you for um, the unmerited favor, the grace that you have shown us in your son, Jesus. Because it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.